0: So today's scripture is found in Job chapter 20, verses 1 to 11. Then Zophar the Namathite answered and said, Therefore my thoughts answer me, because of my haste within me. I hear censure that insults me, and out of my understanding a spirit answers me. Do you not know this from of old, since man was placed on earth, that the exulting of the wicked is short, and the joy of the godless before a moment? Though his height mount up to the heavens and his head reach to the clouds, he will perish forever like his own dung. Those who have seen him will say, where is he? He will fly away like a dream and not be found. He will be chased away like a vision of the night. The eye that saw him will see him no more, nor will his place any more behold him. His children will seek the favor of the poor, and his hands will give back his wealth. His bones are full of his youthful vigor but it will lie down with him in the dust. This is God's word. You may be seated. So I don't know
1: if you've uh, noticed this, but it is sometimes possible to say the right things to the wrong person. You ever done this? Maybe you've sent a text message and uh, it went to the wrong person. I feel like I do this all the time with my children. Sorry, that was meant for another Michelle or another whoever, right? I mean, I I get this wrong all the time. In fact, I I ran across a couple this week that uh, thank you so much, mom. I love the flowers. You're welcome, son. Son, it's me, your daughter. I thought that was funnier than you guys did. Somebody said, can you send me a few pics that you took from last night? Sure, who is this? It's Dorothy. Then here's the picture. A few, uh, a few years ago, I uh, so just a little by way of background, when I'm calling my kids or I'm talking to Michelle, if I leave them a voicemail, or even if we're talking on the phone, right? And some of you do this, right? You, you, I end every conversation with something like, I love you, I'll talk to you later, bye, right? I love you, talk to you later, bye, okay? I think it's a good habit, right? So several years ago, one of my former assistants, uh, I called her and I left her a voicemail. <laughs> you see where this is going. And I ended the voicemail by saying, I love you, I'll talk to you later, bye. And I hung up and I'm like, oh my word. And I, I picked up the phone again, I'm like, I titled I was like, uh, hey, so, like I do love you, right? I, I love you in the Lord, I, but that was weird and I hope your husband didn't hear that, like nothing's going on and I'm really sorry if it made anything awkward, and, uh, but I love you. Uh, I, I don't know what to say, bye, right? So, the right words to the wrong person. The reason I say this is because um, this is a lot of what's happening in the book of Job. The book of Job is, is men, this back and forth that we're seeing is a lot of times the right words. It's just directed at the wrong person. Many things that these friends in the book of Job say to Job are correct and true. They just direct it, they apply it to the wrong person. So, so here's what I want to do. I'm not going to preach verse by verse because of our time constraints this morning through Job chapter 20. What I want to try to do is simply help you to understand why Job is even structured this way. Because I, I imagine that by now we are now in the third, today starts the third cycle of the back and forth between a friend, then Job, and a friend, then Job, and a friend, then Job, right? This back and forth keeps going. It seems like forever. And it seems like they keep circling around the same drain and saying the same things over and over. So why do we need this? Why did God do this? Why such repetition? Job's friends are frustrated. Job says something that frustrates them even more. They attack with arguments. It's unrelenting And we think to ourselves, maybe we should have just skipped over a bunch of these chapters, skipped to the end, and heard what the ending. We all know where it ends. I hope you know where it ends, right? We know that Job will be vindicated. His friends will be rebuked. They will be shown to be wrong in their application of these words to Job. So so why not just jump to the end? See, why did God do it this way? Why did he feel the need to to fill most of the book with this back and forth? Well, I want to I want to tell you, I want to give you three things this morning that I think will help you read and help you understand what you're seeing and what our application should be this, okay? Number one is simply this. I'm just going to give you three things. Number one, to warn us how not to comfort people, right? Maybe this seems obvious. Let me just say something. The Bible is not a how-to manual. It's not a how-not-to manual. But there are times when we can read stuff and there are stuff that we are supposed to imitate or not imitate, so, so, so here, here are these comforters. Job is going through the worst suffering that you can possibly imagine. And they comfort, all of their comfort is drained of any kind of grace or compassion. They have nothing kind to say to him. It is truth without grace. Understand? It is they speak the truth many times, but it has no grace to it. They are so focused on their own self-importance. They are so focused on the truth that they forget to be gracious. Now look, they are ready to pounce when there's any hint of wrong. No compassion. And so so I think this is like like Jesus would say to the people who listen to him in the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, the central verse in that entire sermon is what he says about the Pharisees. Don't be like them. Don't be like them as it relates to how you comfort other people. And that leads me to a similar and related point, And it's simply this. I think it's to teach us how not to relate to other believers. Now, I, I want to say some things about this, right, right? Here are religious men. Okay, we could say these are, these are fellow Christians. These are men. There's no doubt about it. They love God. They love God, they want to stand up for God and yet look at how they treat Job. Look at how they treat one of their own. These are fellow godly men and they begin to cannibalize one of their own. See, Christian cancel culture isn't anything new. It's very real here, right? Ready to pounce. See, is this us? We don't don't want to be accused of being soft on sin. We don't want to be accused of not standing up for the truth. And so there are times when we're not sure that compassion is appropriate. But, But listen, it is possible for you to love and stand for, stand up for, stay in the truth, and yet be gracious. You know this? Like, in fact, this is the model Jesus gives us. John, John chapter one, Jesus came and he says he was full of grace and truth. Not truth without grace, not grace without truth. Those nullify each other. If you don't have one without the other, grace and truth, truth and grace. Paul says to the Colossians, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Is that you? You? Would your spouse, would your children, would your children, would your mom and dad say, Man, the way you speak is it is truth and grace, not one without the other, it's both. How are we supposed to relate to people when they say something wrong, when we fundamentally disagree with them? Is it possible for us to be both truthful and gracious? I think it is. Michelle's part of a text group of ladies in the church and they were, they were talking about something that happened this week and, and one of them forwarded a, a kind of a vlog post. And let, let me, let me read to you something from that. Here, here's, here's how how to disagree with another believer that you, you have disagreements. Like how do we relate to them? And in this post, right, his name's Gavin Ortland. Gavin, some of you know, and and uh, and he he posted and and he he shared a couple of quotes with you. Let me, let me let me share share these. Here's here's a quote from Francis Schaeffer commenting on when Jesus says, "By this you will know that all men are my disciples if you have love for one another." And Schaeffer writes this, Jesus here gives the world a right to do something on the basis of his own authority. He gives the world a right to judge whether you and I are born again Christians on the basis of whether we show love to all Christians. Do you? Or is it just people who are part of your tribe? Is it just people who slice the theological pie exactly how you slice it? Charles Spurgeon had profound theological disagreements with a man by the name of George Herbert. Listen to how Charles Spurgeon talks about George Herbert. He says, where the spirit of God is, there must be love. And if I have once known and recognized a man to be my brother in Christ, the love of Christ constrains me no more to think of him as a stranger, but a fellow citizen with the saints. Now I hate uh, high churchism as my soul hates Satan, but I love George Herbert, although George Herbert is a desperately high churchman. I hate his high churchism, but I love George Herbert from my very soul. And I have a warm corner of my heart for every man who is like him. Let me find a man who loves my Lord Jesus Christ as George Herbert did. And I do not ask myself whether I will love him or not. There is no room for question. I cannot help myself. That's beautiful. That's Christianity. And that is totally absent from their interchange with Job. That's the second thing. Third thing, it reminds us how life in this world really lives, re- 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 is really, really works. See, here's what I mean by that. Okay, we got this back and forth. We got, we got uh, Job saying something and then they refute him and they, they come at him. They keep coming after him. And here's what I mean when I, when I say it, it shows us how life in this world really works. Okay, Christian, we know the end of the story. We know the end of Job, but we know the end of the big story, don't we? We know that in the end that we will be vindicated. Our righteousness will be vindicated. We know that in the end death, sorrow, suffering ends. We know that depression will end and anxiety will end and heartbreak will end. But yet we're not there. We live in this time in between and so we still wrestle with pain and with suffering and with persecution and very often undeserved things. But more than that, we still, I imagine any Christian in this room still fights with accusations and voices... That tell you in all kinds of ways, God is displeased with you. You don't measure up. Your sin is why you're suffering. You're being punished. How can you call yourself a Christian? And on and on it goes. And back and forth. And you try to combat them and they come back. And you put them to bed one night and you wake up in the morning and they're there again. You see what's happening? Job is an illustration of this. We're in a war. We're in a spiritual battle, right? We're in a warfare. That's what the Christian life is really like. And it won't cease until it returns. Job is saying, look, this is what life looks like for the justified believer. There will be people who will level accusations. There will be voices that level accusations. They will be saying perhaps even right things to the wrong person. See, 1 Peter chapter 5 says the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's all he wants to do is devour or destroy. And he comes very often with accusations. Right? He comes, in fact, Romans, uh, Revelation chapter 12 is going to call him the accuser of the brethren. Just read Job's 1 and 2 again. You'll see it illustrated. There he is standing before God. This is his job. His job is to accuse you. His job is to discourage you. And so Peter says, "Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Understand this is what this is his game plan. Be aware of his schemes. Be, be, be watchful, looking. He's going to try to do this. How do you overcome that? You see what Job does? Job never gives in to those voices. He combats them keeps coming back. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 says that these who received accusations as they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. We go back again and again. Here's who I am in Christ, right? Here's who, this is the truth. This is the truth. This is the truth. This is one of the reasons we must arm ourselves with scripture. We must know the truth. You know, one of the reasons we sing here, you know, here's, here's what I know as a preacher. I can prepare 20 hours to preach you a sermon. Uh, that, by the way, I'm not complaining here. I can, I can do that, and you'll walk out of here, and you might remember a few words. But if we sing a song, it's very likely you'll walk out of here and sing it again and again and again. This is why we are so deadly earnest about what we put in your ears. Because we sing. To remind ourselves of the truth. To come back again and again and say, this is the word of God. See, the problem with Job's friends is they say the right thing many, many times to the wrong person. They're, at, they're applying these truths about God. So, if I'm going to give you an overview of Job chapter 20 that you're looking at, and you can go home and read this for yourself, you're going to hear things like this. The wicked will be separated from God. Is that true? Yes. And Job, that's you false. Job, the hope of the wicked will fade. It will dry up. True? Yes. And Job, that's you. False. The wicked will be overcome by God's wrath. True? Yes. Does it apply to Job? No. False. You hear me? And and look, I don't think anything's changed. I think this is exactly what Satan does. He gives the truth, right? And he applies it to you. He says things like, you're a sinner. True? Yes. And therefore you are condemned. False. Your sins are too great. Are great. Yes, true. I know that about myself, right? And so you're too bad for God to love you false you failed in your attempts to obey christ true and god is disappointed with you chris and and i don't think he loves you as much false god can't love me jesus can't love me the triune god cannot love me any less any more than he does right now because of my faith in jesus I'll end with this. I've, I think I've shown you this I don't know how many times. But I remind—I literally have this on a, a post-it note on my computer. And I look at this all the time. Because I need to be reminded of this truth. If you have the... The app that we use, I'm sure it's printed in there. You can take it, print it off for yourself, copy it, use it any way you want. I would encourage you, keep these words in front of you. How is it that we combat voices like this? Martin Luther said this. He was commenting on Galatians chapter 1, where he said that Christ gave himself for our sins. And here's how he comments on it. On on Galatians chapter 1 verse 4. He says, Let us therefore arm ourselves with these and similar sentences of the Holy Scriptures. So that when the devil tells us we are sinners and therefore damned. We may answer, because you say I'm a sinner, I will be righteous and saved. And the devil will say, no, you will be damned. And I will reply, no, for I fly to Christ who has given himself for my sins. Therefore, Satan, you will not prevail against me when you try to terrify me by telling me how great my sins are and try to reduce me to distrust, despair, hatred, contempt, and blasphemy. On the contrary, when you say I am a sinner, you give me armor and weapons against yourself so that I can cut your throat with your own sword and tread you under my." My feet for Christ died for sinners. Moreover, you preach God's glory to me for you remind me of God's fatherly love toward me that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And whenever you object that I'm a sinner, you remind me of the benefit of Christ my Redeemer. It is on his shoulders, not mine, that all my sins lie. So when you say I am a sinner, you do not terrify me but comfort me immeasurably. Christ died for sinners. Let's pray, yeah. Father, yeah. Father, we worship you and we praise you and we thank you. And we thank you that when these voices come and they will come and they will condemn us and they will tell us that we are sinful and therefore condemned and we haven't quite lived up to the righteous standard that we are supposed to as believers in Jesus and therefore God doesn't love us as much. God, we are haunted by these kinds of things, many of us more than others. And I pray, God, we'd arm ourselves. We would never give in the way Job never gives in that we would not misapply truth to our lives when it doesn't apply. And so help us, we pray. And God, I pray for anyone in this room that is separated from you, that are sinners and yet have not found a Savior in Christ, have not flown to Christ and found His mercy and overcome by by the, the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony that Jesus Christ is my Savior. And he has covered my sins. Lord, I pray that would happen today. I pray there would be people, men and women, boys and girls, who would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, you died for sinners just like us. And we praise you for that. And so help us now, God. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. And we ask this in Jesus' name.